Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Today's podcast is sponsored by SLI Systems, providers of intelligent site search and navigation solutions. Learn more at sli-systems.com and listen to their interviews at ecommercepodcast.com. Welcome to the e-commerce conversation with Pat Callahan. A weekly podcast focusing on e-commerce topics, featuring interviews with prominent people in the e-commerce space. And now let's move right on over to Pat to see who he has queued up for this week's interview. Welcome to e-commerce conversations. Today I'm joined by Kevin Smith, Vice President of LTU Technologies. Welcome, Kevin. It's good to have you. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me. Today, Kevin, mainly I want to talk about copyright infringement. Before we jump into that, I wanted to find out what goes on at LTU and what you do at LTU. Sure, sure. Um, well, my role and responsibility at LTU is, is sales and marketing. LTU, just you know, for background, is um, you know, about a seven-year-old company that has uh, grown out of the actual, you know, academic research of our three founders who are each PhD, PhD scientists and have been associated with um, some, you know, well-known technical institutions like MIT here in the States and Oxford over in the UK and also INRIA, um, which is located in France. And basically, the core concept is, you know, in, enhanced image recognition. And image recognition specifically achieved through evaluating the pixels of the image. So instead of using other type of sort of, you know, generic binary identifiers, using the pixels and extracting what we call key features of the image is really what the core technology is about. And ultimately, that extraction of key features produces what we call an image DNA, which is just sort of the fingerprint or the identifier used for explaining what's going on in that image. And, you know, again, LTU being seven years old, it's kind of interesting in that sort of what's happening in terms of the markets that LTU addresses. We started out in 2000 very much being, uh, you know, an e-commerce company. One of our very, very first customers ultimately became acquired by eBay and is, is sort of what people know as eBay in France today. That was one of our first customers. Um, but if you kind of think about that timeline right around the 2001-2002 type time frame when a lot of the e-commerce applications were starting to pull back and there was a lot more um, focus and attention in public sector solutions, LTU was able to sort of shift gears and become much more relevant in the public sector and specifically you know, child exploitation, child porn investigations, both here in the U.S. and really throughout the world. So. People like the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and their Cyber Crime Center, um, various areas of the U.S. DOD, as well as Interpol and a number of, of national police forces um, throughout Europe are customers of the tool as well. 
So if you think about the business today, it probably still is sort of 60% public sector in focus, but the 40%, which is you know what we call commercials, which is growing so quickly, and um, you know customers in that space or anyone from you know large photo banks that are interested in obviously making sure that the royalty eligible images are being used appropriately um, within the terms and conditions of those royalty agreements, as well as some pretty large magazine publishers who have an interest, obviously, in being able to search and put their hand on the right image from the various photo shoots that they have, you know, copyright domain over, as well as, you know, the burgeoning sort of Web 2.0 or user-generated content space, whether it's social networking or it's file sharing, et cetera, there are a number, number of customers that are um, growing rather quickly in that space. Let's, I want to start out with how common these days are copyright infringements and who specifically is at risk? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's pretty clear that they're, they're very common or the potential for them is, is very, very likely, uh, apart put in those terms. And certainly it happens a lot. You know, who potentially is at risk? Largely anyone that has from, and the portion of the copyright problem obviously that we address is around the image, but any organization that the core assets, the real value in the organization are visual um, assets are potentially at risk for some type of copyright infringement. So, you know, when we speak of images, we're not only talking about images in terms of photographic imagery, but it could also be other types of, of image representations, again, of these core assets. So if there are design diagrams, um, if it's an architectural environment, for instance, sure. or if it's a manufacturing environment, uh, if you think of you know, some of the large con- consumer electronic organizations that have you know, proprietary information in design diagrams like the, the next handset or the next form factor for whatever the gadget may be, um, certainly as those things are in development, uh, it's very important that, uh, that that development information would not get out into the wrong hands for, you know, threat of potentially it being knocked off and sold as a, a white label version of the branded, or even that competitors may get wind of exactly what you're up to and, and launch something that would be, um, you know, very similar or at least directly competitive. So there are a myriad of people and organizations that are extremely at risk um, around copyright infringement and then even some of the more common things that we may think about um, just even logo infringement sure. and you know brand identity and maintaining that is obviously a big concern for for all organizations so it, it's really an issue that I think is, is fairly you know universal in scope if you will I would agree completely. It seems like there's a enormous amount of, of, for lack of a better word, things that you need to keep an eye on. How can businesses protect themselves? I guess there are a number of things that can be done. You know, some of them involve obviously technical solutions. A lot of it comes down to leveraging the technology inside of a process that makes sense. So there are some large copyright holders, you know, visual asset holders, photo banks and so forth that you know, do web crawling exercises. You know, they point at certain URLs where they believe it's highly likely that some of their images may be uh, currently, you know, being used outside of the copyright agreement. And they, you know, go to those sites, crawl, and basically attempt to build cases. And many times, those cases aren't necessarily designed to file a lawsuit against this person. More times than not, many of these cases 
really amount to sending notifications, basically sort of a friendly reminder, you know, we found this image on the site, you know, we believe it to be one of our copyright images, you know, basically, would you kindly take it down for mm -hmm. the video? Um, and then if you don't, then obviously, you know, other measures may take place, but typically it's that kind of thing. Likewise, you know, there are a lot of internal controls that uh, CSOs, uh, chief security officers, um, compliance officers, and so forth, but sort of work as, a, if you will, an extension of sort of the legal group within many corporations, uh, attempt to put in place that basically are filters or identifiers to know what documents, image-related content, et cetera, is being moved on and off of the network. So sort of enterprise-wide tools to monitor the flow of information that's coming on and off of the network. So there are, you know, there are a lot of tools um, and a lot of, again, processes um, that organizations or various processes and tools, I guess is probably the better way to say that, that organizations are using to, uh, to attempt to protect themselves. So let's talk a little bit about uh, social media, Web 2.0, content sharing. Social networks are huge, obviously, very popular. How can online businesses protect and profit from their copyrighted material? Well, you know, that is sort of one of the one of the big, if you will, golden questions that that's going on or that's being sort of worked out. And I, you know, and the right answer is that there isn't a single, you know, business model or answer to that question. There are a number of them. You know, there are obviously some pretty large content owners that are taking the stance that they're going to, you know, pursue lawsuits against file sharing locations like YouTube or other big names. And certainly, you know, that is one model that's out there. Basically, you know, if you are the owner, you know, the general stance or sort of, I think the initial stance has been, you know, that's our stuff. If you're using our stuff and we haven't given you permission to use it, then you must take it down or somehow we need to come into an agreement for you to use it. What I think is probably the, the, the interesting sort of second question or what it leads to is, ultimately what will the model look like and you know it certainly seems that the model that that, that most places will evolve to at some point in time and, and I you know some point in time could be you know could be in the next few months it could be you know sometime even further than that but would be some type of, of revenue sharing or ad based model around um, copyright material that would show up on those locations so you know if the core story of you know, some large content owners is basically that, you know, YouTube or others like them have grown to be so big and have such a large audience on their content. Um, maybe some of the resolution of those lawsuits would be that there would be some type of compensation to the content owner for, you know, the stature that YouTube has been able to gain, you know, in this interim. But I think going forward, it's going to be, okay, how can we, you know, work together to basically still allow communities, allow people to produce their mashups, allow people to still view some of their, you know, favorite, you know, old sitcoms and television shows and so forth, but that it's somehow shared with the studios and, and content owners. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's particularly interesting because we actually get a chance to view this scenario even beyond the borders of just the U.S., and, and Europe. I mean, we're starting to see and be approached by potential customers even in places in Asia that have a very different understanding, of course, of copyright. Mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, there isn't, you know, um, 
copyright law to speak of and content owners it's an interesting potential model where goodness maybe you know deals can be struck where i think part of the problem um you know to kind of take a step back from a content owner standpoint if content owners evolve to a place where they say look we can't send takedown stay down notices or kind of move forward with the goal of removing our images videos what have you from wherever they lie outside of our you know sanctioned site so if they kind of evolve the idea that you can't stop it completely it's better to find a business model where you can leverage it the next question is well okay a lot of the problem that's out there is that the representations of the copyright material that are out there often in some cases are rather low resolution or they aren't as of similar quality as the content owner would put out on their own. So back to the sort of Asia scenario, I mean, there's some scenarios there where the point is um, maybe certain sites that have large hosting or do a lot of file sharing, video sharing, others would basically identify these images as, you know, it's owned by Universal or it's owned by fill in the blank and then notify those folks and do partnering where basically Universal would replace, you know, this full run of, of you know, episode three of your favorite sitcom X that's in really poor quality because it has been, you know, again, pirated from another site. Replace it with the original run so you can increase the quality. People would actually want to see it. And obviously with eyeballs and first advertising revenue. Um, and it's just one sort of, you know, broader example. But What's become interesting is how, you know, some of these locations in Asia may be potentially sort of previous testing areas sure. um, for scenarios that over time may be adopted here in the U.S. Yeah, that makes um, a lot of sense. And, and the fact that there are, you know, or definitely a lower threshold, in some cases no threshold at all around regulatory or laws around this in, in some of those Asian countries. Um, obviously makes it a, a, a much easier place to, or a, 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 they don't have to kind of go through the evolution of, you know, what a typical content owner would start with, like the ones that we know here in terms of the lawsuits and pursuing people and take down state out notices and so forth. So hopefully I haven't diverted too far from your question, but <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon with, with the, um, you know, the user-generated communities. I think, I know that probably part of your question also is, you know, how do the file sharing locations or the social networking sites themselves, you know, maintain compliance with content owners, but also allow for free expression? Absolutely. Um, or, and and I, I think that's a, a big challenge. And I think probably what it means more is that the deals, there have to be closer coupling um, between, you know, the social networking sites and the content owners so that there is sort of a pool of permissible material that content owners are comfortable with people doing new and creative things with, as long as they're still, you know, kind of getting their share of the pie, if you will. Because frankly, as more and more eyeballs move to these online sites and away from what have been the historical channels, whether it's television broadcasts or others, DVDs, et cetera, or going, physically going, sitting in a movie to see these things, as more and more people are moving their viewership there, I mean, that's where the revenue is going to go. So the studios, you know, the uh, content owners, et cetera, have to kind of move to that model if they're going to continue to be relevant. The question is, you know, how fast does all this happen, right? Because the studios have been able um, 
you know, to sort of, you know, ride the wave of, of the existing model um, that's been in place for, you know, however many decades. And so it's a little bit of now they're really sort of being shaken in a big way. You know, it, it's not that before they could have thought of it as it was small, it was something that was, you know, years off, or we'll keep an eye on that, it might mean something, but we're going to keep getting this great revenue that we've gotten through our historic channels. We're not going to worry too much about it now. Uh, you know, YouTube is big, and they, they get a lot of press around it, and they've kind of brought it to the forefront of everyone's attention, but there are a number of places that similar types of file sharing, um, unique types of, of things are happening. So to me, that's a challenge. I may not have even um, sort of fully answered your question, more just point out some of the challenge, but I think that is the kind of the core challenge of the social network or the file sharing site is to, um, you know, couple closer with content owners and find ways that you can create a business model so that you don't lose your um, your community. You okay. don't lose your, your users ultimately. Kevin, I really want to thank you for your time. Sure, I appreciate it. And again, that's Kevin Smith, Vice President with LTU Technologies and can be found online at www.ltutech.com. Kevin, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Pat. That's all the time we have for this week's e-commerce conversation with Pat Callahan. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next week for another new episode to find out who Pat will be speaking with.